The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Sixteen years ago this summer, I stood behind this pulpit for the first time. I was a guest preacher. I was a potential pastor of this church. And I began the message. on It was a Sunday evening message. And I began with a, a quote from a book called The Supremacy of God in Preaching by John Piper. It's one of those quotes, one of those concepts that has greatly impacted my life. The first page, first paragraph, first sentence, The Supremacy of God in Preaching says this, People are starving for the greatness of God. But most of them would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. The majesty of God is an unknown cure. It's, a, it's the cure that many don't know of all of those troubles that people are longing for and don't even know it. John Piper says there are many more popular prescriptions on the market But the benefit of any other remedy is brief and shallow. Preaching that does not have the aroma of God's greatness, he said, may entertain for a season, but it will not touch the hidden cry of the soul, which is, show me your glory. That is, that should be the the cry of our soul, that is the cure for our souls. And then that phrase, show me thy glory, comes out of Exodus, Moses speaking to God. And, and I'm excited to next month begin looking at Exodus and how it shows us God's glory. But my first preaching series when I came here was on God's attributes before we went into the book of Exodus. And, and it was a study that changed me, and I, and I trust is continuing to change us. We looked at several psalms in that series, and that study, and, and I want to look at a couple more psalms and finish this series on God before we begin the book of Exodus, because I was convinced then and now our greatest need is to know more of the, the greatness of who God is, and that we would be God-centered, that we would have a high view of God and a low view of self. That's always what we need. He is God and we are not. And I've experienced that believers are starving, craving for the glory of God. And in true believers, see, when He is magnified, then our souls are satisfied. The bigger we see God to be, the, the smaller we become, but also the smaller our problems become, and it is a good thing, it's a refreshing thing to know that he is large and he is in charge. And as we become less, we are blessed. I remember after that Sunday evening, it was Kemp Owen who said to me, because I, I was preaching and I didn't get to really finish the message, he says, if you come to, to be the pastor here, would you keep preaching on that theme of the greatness of God. And I told him I would, and he's now experiencing the greatness of God in a greater way than any of us now in heaven. But I want to keep doing what he asked me to. And so today, if you would turn to Psalm 45, David is going to show us thy glory. He's going to show us a very big God. And, and his purpose in doing this is that we would be able to show and tell others. Because the remedy for our sin-sick Souls, the remedy for our selfish shallowness is to be lost in wonder, love, and praise to our God. I love the truths that we just sang. He must increase, we must what? Decrease. And in Psalm 145, the supremacy of the Lord is to be preached. The greatness of our God is to be proclaimed, and the, the majesty of our King is to be praised. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear the word of our God, the living word of our living God. Psalm 145, a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. 
Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. This is a psalm that is all about the attributes of God. Many of what Roman, or this passage is going to unfold is what we've seen in Romans. And so we're not going to go through all of the verses here to cover some of the truths about God that we've already seen in, in past weeks. But we're going to focus on his greatness in verses 1 through 6. And then next week we're going to hear about his nearness in verse 18. The Lord is near, it says in verse 18, to all who call upon him. So that's going to take us from his bigness to his closeness. He's not only infinitely great, he is infinitely near as believers pray. But the word great is used four times in these opening verses. In verses 7 through 21, David's going to highlight how God is good, how he's righteous, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's long-suffering, he is loving, he is faithful, he is kind, he's holy. We've spent messages on each of those. But today we're going to see God is great. And the outline that comes right out of the passage here in the first part is David is extolling the greatness of God the King. And we're to join him in this. And then secondly, praising the greatness of his name in verses 2 through 3. And then applying the greatness of his works. But it starts with extolling the greatness of God the King. Look at verse 1. I will extol you, my God and King. This is the last psalm that we know is written by King David, at least in the order that they are put together. So Psalms 146 to 150 don't list the author as David like the other ones do. And so as the psalms were being put together, this isn't necessarily chronologically the last one he wrote, but as David goes, this great psalm writer of Israel and sweet singer of Israel, as he goes out with his last finale, if you will, which leads to a finale of praise for the rest of the book. David the king is going to go out lifting up God the king, the king of kings. He says, I extol, which means to elevate, I exalt, I, I lift up, I, I raise up. It's, it's actually translated in another place, high praise. The idea there is lifting up in our, in our estimation. God is already high and exalted, but we need to lift up our thoughts of him and the way we speak of him. And I think a great ex- illustration of extolling the greatness of God comes from Augustine in his confessions. He wrote this in the, I think, the fourth century. Here's his prayer. Most high, utterly good, utterly powerful, most omnipotent, most merciful, and most just, Deeply hidden, yet most intimately present. Perfection of both beauty and strength. Stable and incomprehensible. Immutable and yet changing all things. In other words, God never changes, but he's changing things in this world all the time. Never old, but making everything new. Always active, but but always in repose. He never gets tired or, or weary. You are jealous in a way that is free of anxiety. You are wrathful, and yet you can remain tranquil. You will a change without any change in your will. This is our God. Never in any need you rejoice in your gains. You're owing nothing to anyone, yet you cancel debts. And you do that in a way that incurs you no loss. But he says in these words... What have I said? My God, my life, my holy sweetness. We need to sometimes go back in history to to read of how others have spoken of God. Because our shallow age, we don't think and speak enough like this. But 3,000 years ago, this is what David said he would do. Extol my God and King. Lift up his excellencies. Some other psalms say things like this, The Most High is a great king over all the earth. He is a great God and a great king above all. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. That's what you would do in those days when you came before a king. 
We, we, we stand in, in worship, but it's, it's also appropriate to kneel, to, to pray or to kneel as they would come into the presence of the king, the king of kings. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, God's royalty should move our loyalty. And he says there's a deepening and there's a sweetening of the sense of these words. And, and there's some kingly words also in verse 5 when he says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty. Calvin in his Institutes said this, Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the, where, the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. In other words, we, we can compare ourselves with others and we think we're doing okay. We're not like those people over there. But when we compare ourselves to God's majesty, that's when we really know who we are and who he is in comparison to us. There's no comparison. And it was said of that reformer's life, the central issue was the, the supremacy and the majesty of the glory of God. That's what, when they were recovering the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Ultimately, it was, it was for the glory and the majesty of God that that was so important. And we sing of this, don't we? We sing of the splendor of the king. He's robed in, in majesty. That's part of his regal glory and authority. And maybe even on the 4th of July this week, you, you heard that song... It speaks of purple mountain, what, majesty, and how God's grace has been shed from sea to, to shining sea. It's, it's right to recognize there is majesty all around us in God's creation. God has so blessed us, I think, even to live in this part of his creation. We need to see that. You see the mountains. See the, the mighty waves. See the, the, the massive ocean that he is king over. You see those magnificent sunsets and to give him glory. That, that's what extolling is what you did maybe the first time. If you've never seen the ocean before and you come up to the coast and you see the vast ocean and you, you extol what you are seeing or, or maybe when you first see a, a bright shooting star and you just have to say something. In Yosemite you, you look up at at Half Dome, sometimes you can be walking around and you, and you just look up and you're reminded of the, of the majesty all around you. When, when you look at Yahweh, you look up far higher. You, 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 you should look up and then think there is a greater majesty that made all of this majesty. There was a magazine ad many years ago. I think it was for True Value Granola of all things, but it was, it was an incredible ad. It had these these massive mountain peaks. And at the top of it, you can barely see them. There's these two little hikers, these two little climbers, and they've, they've climbed up into this massive scene of, of creation. And they're so minuscule. They're so tiny. And, and the caption, it's about being, in, in, being out there in nature, but the caption, I think, got it exactly right. It says, you've never felt so alive, you've never felt so insignificant. And I think that shows even in the fallen man's heart, there's a recognition that when we see something far greater than ourselves, when we see majesty, we see greatness, we see bigness, and we realize we're really insignificant, and that's actually refreshing when we get the focus off of our little selves. We're actually really alive when we see real significance and magnificence, when we can stop looking in the mirror and start looking at the, the glory of God all around us. We are hardwired for majesty. We are designed for God's glory. He created us for his glory, Isaiah says. And we are made for something far bigger than puny humanity. Greatness is the soul's cry. You've heard it said before, people don't go to the Grand Canyon to boost their self-esteem, to think bigger thoughts about themselves. No, they, they see something far bigger than themselves, and it's refreshing, and they want to go back. I've actually never been, but I've heard that, and I want to go. But ultimately, God's majesty is what we need to lift up. And so David says, I extol God, my King. And it makes me think of Psalm 8 when he says, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And, and then he says, 
When I consider the heavens, the moon, and the stars, the work of your fingers that that you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is this son of man, he uses the word for weak, frail humanity, that you would care for him? How majestic is your name? There was a scientist considering the heavens in, in the universe, and he wrote this. This was years ago. Charles Misner, he says, it's, it's very magnificent. It shouldn't be taken for granted. And he says this. I, in fact, I believe that is why Einstein had so little use for organized religion, although he strikes me as a basically very religious man. He must have looked at what many, he's talking about the liberal preachers of his day, were saying about God and felt that they were blaspheming because he'd seen far more majesty than they had ever imagined. And, and if he went to church, he heard them not talking about the real thing. That's a perceptive quote right there. But we, as God's people, need to speak of the reality of the majesty of God. My job description is to preach the supremacy of the glory of God. And, but it's not just mine. Peter says we're all called to proclaim the excellencies of him. And David calls us to join him extolling my God and King. So that's number one. Number two, praising the greatness of his name. David wants us to join him praising the greatness of his name. Verse two, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. In other words, this isn't just for me. There there needs to be great praise. There needs to be a a great multitude. And and it's beginning of verse 2. This is not just a day of worship. Uh, On their their Sabbath day or when they would gather. This is also not just on good days. He says every day. No matter what the day holds. No matter what the day brings. We need to commit and we need to join David in committing every day we will praise God. Every day we should be giving thanks to God, even on the hard days. He says, every day I will, and that word bless is the Hebrew word barak. No no relation to a former president, but it's, it's, barak is the sense of kneeling before a king. It's adoring on, on bended knee and the word praise There is the Hebrew word hallel. We get the word hallelujah from that. And it's the idea of praise that sings, praise that celebrates, praise that radiates. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and and with us sing, oh, praise him, hallelujah. That's language right out of these kind of psalms. And I want to praise some of the, when we talk about his name, that's really his character, who he is. And so greatness in verse 3 is, is really a sum of his attributes. It's not a separate attribute. So you won't find typically a chapter just talking about greatness on the attributes of God because he's great in all of his attributes. But looking at some of these, some of us were at a, at a, a, a teaching at another church yesterday uh, by a, a brother from Master Seminary. This was at Emmanuel Baptist. Uh, but he, Peter Sammons was developing the the attributes of God and that are not often thought of or words we're even familiar with. Aseity is just a big word for him being self-existent or, or independent. This is part of his, his unsearchable character. Or simplicity is the idea that he is indivisible, that there is a unity, uh, that he, he's not in different parts. You can't separate one aspect you know, of his love and, and from another attribute or make that the, the one that's greater than the other's. And then his spirituality, God is a spirit. Our, our kids learn the, the catechism. God is a spirit and has not a body like men. He, he's not like us. He's a, he's a spirit. Jesus, of course, became, God became man in the, in the person of Christ. But God is, is, a, is a spirit fundamentally. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Impassibility is, an, is a word that means he's not emotional like us. And, and some people want to draw comfort of thinking he's more like us, but actually the fact that he is not driven by emotion like we are is, is a great comfort to know that he is steady even when we are not in our emotions, and that goes along with his immutability. He's unchanging, which is very good news in our rapidly changing world. He's not driven. He's not adapting. He's not reacting. He's not changing. And 
His, his, his love and, and all those that are expressions of him are, are genuine, but he's, he's without passions in the sense that he's not driven by passions and emotions like we are. And then his eternality, that he is timeless, that he is outside time. He's not limited by the time and, and space world like, like we are. There's no beginning and, and there's no end. There's no beginning and there's no becoming in God. He's never becoming anything. He's got no beginning and, and that really blows my mind. I mean, we can't think of anything with no beginning or no end, but that is our God. And, and this is just some of them. We can't exhaust all of the attributes of God. Even just mentally thinking deeply about some of these, I need aspirin at times. This is beyond what my little mind can fully fathom, which actually takes us to a word in verse 3, which is unsearchable. And, and you'll hear other words like incomprehensible in, in the sense that God is bigger than our little minds can ever fully grasp. And so they've got to come up with big words to try to explain the bigness of God, but we can't fully capture it. David's word is, end of verse 3, his greatness is unsearchable. It's like the end of Romans 11. Oh, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And and none of us are to raise our hand. We we don't know the mind of the Lord in, in his fullness. David says in Psalm 139, God's knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. And Job says he does great and unsearchable Things, great things, too marvelous to understand. Job didn't understand the ways of God, and that's the whole end of Job is telling us as he comes to him. Job's the most righteous man on earth, but he's reminded of you don't know, you don't control. I do, trust me. Isaiah says God is unsearchable, he's incomparable. His thoughts are infinitely higher like the heavens are above the earth, like the universe and this planet. That's how much higher his thoughts are than ours. Paul uses words like inscrutable. He uses words like transcending all understanding or what surpasses all knowledge. God's peace as we pray with praise and thanksgiving to him. We only know a a fringe of his ways. You think of like a little fringe of a, of a garment. You don't see the whole thing. We just see a, a little, just a little fringe of God's ways. His fullness cannot be comprehended by us fully. Finite minds cannot ever exhaust the infinite. None can fathom the indescribable, uncontainable, untamable God. He's not a tame lion, as you've heard. I love the book by Matthew Barrett. None greater is the title, The Undomesticated Attributes of God. And he explains that God's burning holiness is like the, the sun that you can, you can explain the sun, but you can't explore the sun too far, can you? There's never going to be a space mission to the sun. Because the, the sun is... Even if you look on it straight on, it'll, it'll burn your eyes. If you dare to approach the sun, you'll be destroyed. But the way we experience the sun is we, we see its effects. We feel the warmth of the sun. We can enjoy being in the sun. We can learn wonderful things about the sun. We need the sun, whether we know those things or not, and it sustains us. It's, it's, it's common grace, if you will, on the just and the unjust. But you can't look at it straight on. And the idea of unsearchable is it's, 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 it's not exhaustible. We can't fathom the depths of God's essence, the, the scope of his might, the height of his glory. But we can pursue more and we can learn more. When I was in college, we used to sing a song. I don't know if you guys know it, but it talks about God being too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp Who can fathom? It's beyond description, this majesty. And so the chorus says, I stand in awe of you. That's what we need to do. We need to stand in awe of God. He cannot be domesticated. He cannot be delimited. There is none greater. There is none like him. Don't think that he is like us. 
That's what Psalm 50 says, the rebuke. You thought, God says, that I was like you. Psalm 50 says, God is not like us. God doesn't need us. And yet, God is gracious to us. It's a wonderful psalm if you want to study that further, Psalm 50. But it is our great privilege to pursue getting to know our great God in a greater way. God's greatness in its fullness is unsearchable, verse 3 says. But great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. There's several times the psalms say that. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. I think in Chronicles as well. And other psalms say, praise him for his surpassing greatness. You are very great. Give great thanks to God. Greatly extol the Lord. And your love, O Lord, is great to the heavens. We sang about the greatness of the love of God, didn't we? Even if in the heavens you could, you could try to write of the greatness of his love, even if there was you know, ink like the oceans and, and everyone was writing all the time, we could never in the sky write the fullness of God's love. But we, we love to, to tell the story of his love, don't we? David in First Chronicles 29 says, Yours Listen to the yours or the you. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Yours, O Lord, is the power. Yours, O Lord, is the victory and the majesty. Indeed, all things in the heaven and the earth are yours. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. And David says it lies in your hand to make great. We thank you and praise your glorious name. And then he says, but who am I? And and what are these people that we would be able to offer anything to you? He says, all things come from you, and yet we're offering to you. He says, by your hand you have given us, and it's by your hand that we have given to you. All things are yours. It's all about God. Who am I? Who are us? His people, yours, O Lord, is the greatness. And so what's our response? We need to praise the greatness of his name. That's number two. And then number three, we need to apply the greatness of his works. Verse four, and this goes, it moves out from worship now to the world. Verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And verse seven says, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Or the New King James says, your great goodness. It's like another psalm that talks about praising God's greatness generation to generation. And so the first application is, tell another generation. Tell another generation his great work and power. Every single one of us in this room is a different generation than other people in this room. And actually, there's multiple generations in this room. That's one of the things I love about this church. It's not a young church or an old church or an in-between church. It's all ages and stages of life are represented here, even as I look out from 90s to newborns. But we're to tell. We're to tell others of a different generation than us about God's greatness. This needs to be proclaimed. The language is, it needs to pour out of our mouths. Like It needs to gush forth. Like We can't stop it. It's got to overflow. We've got to tell someone. You can't stop. You can't keep this to yourself if you really believe these things. And, and each generation has a responsibility to continue this and to commend God's greatness and His majesty and His mighty works to another generation. So whatever generation you are here today. And we don't need to go through the X's and the Y's and the Z's and the baby boomers and all that. Just whatever generation you are, you are called to proclaim the greatness of the wondrous acts that God has done and to do it across age groups. So if you're young or old, I'll let you decide where you are in that spectrum. You're called to do this. And I like how the New American Standard translates verse 7 to eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. And it has this footnote for eagerly. Or to bubble over with. Others have. To, to celebrate, to share the story, to give a testimony of your great goodness. 
Are you eager to do that? Are, are you looking for opportunities to tell someone, to talk to another believer, to tell them about how God is good in your life? Do you love to tell the story of God's work in your life, Jesus and his love, what he's done for you? Is that something you're eager to do? Is that something you're being filled with and that you want to pass on to others? You see the little ones, you see the younger ones, or you see some of the older ones here, and, and maybe some of them come by themselves, and they, they look like maybe they're not as connected as others, and you're thinking, I, I'd love to go and talk to that person. I want to encourage them in our God. When something good happens in your life, I know this about us. We can't wait to tell others there's something good, and then we see someone, hey, have you heard this? But here it's not just peers or friends your age. It's the idea of even specifically looking for someone who is older or younger that you can encourage with what God has done in your life. I've been so encouraged by seeing the work of God in younger people in this church. I used to think of myself as one of those younger people. I still am to some degree than to some of you, but it's so sweet to see teenagers and young adults living for the Lord and to also see those who have been faithful for decades. And, and I see them sitting in church together, holding hands together, praising God together. That's a ministry that you are doing even in, in song. And, and I just want to encourage you, if you're young Whatever you define young as, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, set an example for the older believers in your speech, and in, your, in your life, in your conduct, in your love. And, and you can encourage others, and you do, and, and you need to do that more. And Titus 2 talks about older men exhorting the younger men. And, and, and there, there's older and younger men that God would have to be getting together and, and doing that. Some are already doing that, but there's more that needs to happen. And older women teaching younger women in Titus 2 as well. And if you don't have someone older or younger in your life, this is what we're called to do, but pray for that. Pursue that. And we have a great duty to tell the next generation how great our God is. Who's, who's going to tell them if, if we as parents and the people of God don't? In fact, verse 11 says, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. The faith is always one generation from extinction if it's not passed on. And you've all seen the statistics of how many who have been growing up in the church, such high percentages, and turning away from the faith when they, when they come and they go off to college or they begin their young life and they're, they're, they're leaving the faith that they once professed. This is important for us. One of the Psalms says this, Come, children, I will teach you. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And he says, I've been young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his children begging bread. I remember times I've talked to older believers here, and they've told me their stories growing up in, in the Great Depression or, or, or going through World War II and, and what that was like and, and how God has been faithful. We need to hear those things. You need to tell us those things. And that psalm says, His children become a blessing. Psalm 78, We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation is to set its hope in God. Not forgetting. We need to set our hope anew on God so that we don't forget. Parents, we need to pray for parents, support parents, but we as God's people also have a part to play in that as well. And as you think about telling your testimony, it, don't think you have to have some great story about what a great sinner you were before Christ. Just talk about a great Savior. That's what a great testimony is. Let's talk about what He's done. I was reading Psalm 71. I think this is a great testimony. If this is your testimony, this is, a, this is a great testimony. Psalm 71, I have trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. I can never stop praising you. 
I declare your glory all day long. And now in my old age, don't set me aside. You ever feel that way? Don't abandon me, it says. When my strength is failing, your strength may be failing, but God is not failing. I will proclaim, he says, your saving power, even though I'm not skilled with words. And if you feel that, I don't feel like I'm good with words. Here, here's an inspired writer saying, I, I'm not skilled with words, but I'm going I'm to do whatever words I can. I'm going to praise your mighty deeds. O sovereign Lord, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and so I constantly tell others about the wonderful things that you do. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation. You allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore. And the psalm says, I will tell everyone that you are faithful to his promises. Those are inspired words and inspired testimony that I know is the testimony of some here. And and maybe some of you are struggling with those same things. You you feel like your strength is failing. Your words are, are failing But God has work for you still. He has people for you still to speak to as long as you are alive. God has a purpose for you. And this is part of it. Psalm 150, very last verse of the psalm says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. As long as you're still breathing, praise the Lord and and tell someone else about it. I'm thinking even of our, our super senior lunch here today as... I know there will be people serving and and honoring you, but it will encourage you to even think about what you can praise the Lord for and say to encourage a young person to an old person or someone in between. We have children's ministry here, which is a great opportunity to put these very things into practice. We always have needs, and as we're gearing up for the the fall, there's there's a need in our Thursday night ministry, but also in our Sunday school. We're, We're needing more more teachers and, and helpers and, and youth ministry, young adult ministry, the heart-to-heart Titus II ministry, the, the, the senior ministries and, and lunches here, but also the senior ministries that we're now expanding across this campus, but also home groups, opportunities where you can be in people's lives and to be speaking of God's truth. So that's the first application. And then, and I think these go together, meditate on his acts. Meditate on his glorious and wondrous acts. Psalm 145, verse 5, moves from talking about those glorious acts to your wondrous works. He says, I will meditate. I think what keeps us speaking about God's greatness is when we keep thinking about God's greatness. I will meditate. The idea of the Hebrew is I will, I will be telling myself this. There's a, there's a verbal element. It's, it's like you need to remind yourself, tell yourself. You need, to, you need to preach to yourself like we talked about a few weeks ago. Don't just passively listen to yourself. Preach the truth to yourself, to your soul. Meditating is, is not a passive, just waiting for whatever comes in your mind. It's an active, setting your mind on God's truth. And even if you have to verbally remind yourself out loud and and I have, I, I think this is, do you guys have on the back of your note sheet a, an acrostic? So this psalm is actually an acrostic psalm, which means each verse starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, ABC in English. And, and this is not unique to me, but this is an acrostic of God's greatness. I put some of these together and looked at some others. But the idea here is this is the A to Z of God's character. And, and here's, here's a way you could apply this. I, I've, I know some people who struggle. It's hard for them to sleep at night. One of the things they can, or their mind's just going on all kinds of things that it shouldn't be going to. to take some time and to go through. You might be lying in bed. You don't have a... a Pen, pen and paper or even your, your phone with you, but you can start, you know the alphabet, you know A, B, C, you know those come in order, so start thinking about a truth of God that starts with the letter A. He's almighty, or we talked about his aseity, that he's self-existent, independent, maybe you won't remember that word, but awesome is another word that we, that we know, or, or B, he's beautiful, he's bountiful, he's benevolent, or, or C, that he is compassionate, he is caring, or D, he's dependable. He's our defender. E, he is our eternal God. He, he's, he has no beginning and, and end. He's, he's everlasting. 
F. Give me one that starts with F. Fantastic. Faithful. G. What are some that start with G? Great. What else? Good. Gracious. Glorious. H. Holy. Honorable. I. What are some that start with I? Indescribable. Infinite would be another one. J. What are some that start with J? Just. Judge. K. Kind. I could think of his kingship, his kingdom. L. He's loving. What else? Long suffering. M. Don't you can't look at your sheet by the way. You just gotta think. <laughs> M. What's some of that start with M? Mighty. Majestic. Merciful. What about N? He's near. He's never failing. There's there's some big words that start with O. Omniscient. He knows all things. Omnipresent. Omnipotent. All-powerful. You could think of those with P. Also present. Powerful. Patient. Providence. The, the Q is a little bit hard, but here's, here's a couple. Uh, quickening in the old English language. Or he is quick to help in the Psalms. He's... R, he's righteous. He's our rock. He's our redeemer. There's a bunch with S. This is just, just a list. You can add to this, but sovereign. He's supreme. But also think of how he's compared in the Psalms. He's our shade. He's our shield. He's our stronghold. And so, so don't worry if it's a name of God or a, a, an attribute of God or just a way he's spoken of in the Psalms. But T, he's true. He's transcendent. He's a trinity. Think of him as three in one. You, he is unchanging. He is upright. V, he is victorious. He's a very present help in time of need, as the psalm says. W, he's wise. He's wonderful. He's worthy. And the X is another one you might get hung up. X is actually the Greek initial for Christ. When they would speak of Christ, they would just put X. You've even seen that with Christmas, Xmas, but X was just a shorthand for Christ. So just think of all that Christ is, or if if you want to use the X sound in English, he's exalted, he's excellent. But Y, Yahweh, he is the I am that I am, and Z, he is zealous. And, and so what I encourage you to do is when your mind is going to on all, all other things or where it shouldn't be, don't just think of, go through the alphabet that way, but take some time to meditate, to ponder those various truths, or even think about places in the Bible where that truth was revealed. And, and I, I would encourage you that, that that can greatly encourage yourself. to. And that's one reason why this psalm was written in an ABC, A to Z format. And the Lord is our Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And, and this is a great way to, to apply that. But let's move to this last one. Declare his great gospel. The end of verse 6. I will declare your greatness. And this last psalm of David is not the last word on what David talks about here. In fact, many of the words in this psalm become gospel words, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. David had already used this word majesty in some psalms that, that are applied to the Messiah, some messianic psalms, we call them psalms about, about the Messiah to come. David uses this word majesty. When he talked about declaring and, and proclaiming him, he, he also uses those in some of those psalms of Messiah, but this word might was used of the coming Messiah, the King of glory. Who is this King of glory who's coming to Jerusalem, who is mighty in power? It's, it's this one. And this word great was used by the, the, the prophets. This word David uses is used in the prophets of this great light that would come to the Gentiles. There was going to be a great light that would dawn. And that word awesome was used by Isaiah for this coming Messiah and his, his good news, his great news. In verse 5, the, the word wonderful or wondrous is the word in Isaiah 9, 6. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. That word mighty is also used in Psalm 145. All this language, glory, in, in, that's used here is used of the prophecies of, of Jesus. And some of the ancient rabbis saw verses in this psalm that they applied to the, to the Messiah to come. 
David himself knew there were promises to him that there would be a greater son to come. There would be a greater king who would, who would be in his line and would sit on his throne. And here's how the Gospels begin. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. And so like in verse 1 of this psalm, the, the, the first two chapters of the New Testament begin presenting Jesus as God and King. He is the God with us, Emmanuel in Matthew 1. He is the, the King that these wise men came to see in Matthew chapter 2. And, and to the end of the New Testament, it's the name of the Lord Jesus that's being blessed and that's being praised forever and ever. Just like the language of the psalm, Jesus fulfills that language. Revelation pictures Jesus as great and awesome. And, and his day that's coming is a, is a great and wondrous day. And so think of even when David says, my king, I will bless your name and, and praise you. That's what the multitudes were doing on Palm Sunday is, is the disciples. It says, praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, glory in the highest. And they said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They were looking from the Psalms to when this would come in their hearing. There, there's words in Psalm 45 and phrases that are being echoed to the son of David, these words of David. Psalm 145 says, we need to extol the name of the Lord every day. The book of Acts says that the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And the early church was praising him every day, Acts chapter 2. And David when he talks about God's glorious splendor of majesty, Peter may be thinking about the same kind of language when he talks about how we were actually eyewitnesses of his majesty that he received from the glory of God the Father. He says, by the majestic glory, he says, when we heard those words, this is my beloved son. That was the very majesty that we know from our, our scriptures and on that Mount of Transfiguration, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 says they saw glorious splendor with Jesus. And then they came down from that mountain and Jesus healed a boy who had been possessed by a demon. And it says the crowds were marveling at the majesty of God. As Jesus comes and has compassion and, and shows his power in healing this son, it says they were astonished at the majesty of God. And then in that same chapter, Luke 9, he teaches them about true greatness, what true greatness looks like. And some of the translations say that as he was doing miracles, people were amazed at the greatness of God. Jesus is actually the greatness of God even as David commits to speak the mighty deeds of God, there, there's another generation to come in the book of Acts who hears the apostles, quote, speaking of the mighty deeds of God in Acts chapter 2. And so Peter stands up in front of that crowd on the day of Pentecost, and he declares the greatness of the Lord. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and Wonders, same sort of language from the Psalms of God. Jesus is, is attested and shown to be who the Old Testament was talking about because of his mighty and awesome and glorious deeds. And so we can say in a greater way, great is the Lord Jesus and greatly to be praised. We should praise the Lord Jesus greatly and we actually get to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, Paul says in the Ephesians. We actually are called to, 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 to learn what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That immeasurable power comes to us as we believe in Christ. Wisdom, unsearchable. God, the invisible. Love, indestructible. In frailty appeared the Lord of infinity, stooping so tenderly to lift our humanity. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship. Jesus is your God and King. If he's not yet your King, if he's not yet your Lord and, and your Master, there is a great and awesome and awful day of judgment and wrath that is coming. That Revelation uses this kind of language from the psalm to talk about. The book of Hebrews warn, warns you, how will you 
escape if you neglect so great a salvation. There is so great a Savior, so great a salvation that's being presented to you even now. And your great need, if you're not in Christ, is to see your great need. To see your great need as a great sinner. And to see that Jesus is a great Savior. You can escape the wrath of God if you do not neglect this great salvation. If you don't harden your heart. If you don't just tune out now, but if you, if you turn from your sin and trust him as your Lord, as, as the one who died for your sins and then was brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, as Hebrews says. And he ascended to heaven, and, and the scriptures say he is sitting right now at the throne of the majesty on high. And our blessed hope as believers, when you believe in him, is that, that we're, our hope is the, the blessed, glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great God and Savior. And so if you're saved, extol your King Jesus. Meditate on his wonderful and mighty works for you. If, if you're not saved, we would love to pray with you. Our brother and sister up front would love to, to help you know this great Savior. But if you know him, extol him, meditate on him, and tell other generations, tell other people, even right here, right now, even this day. And if you're at family camp, that's another great opportunity this week to we'll be praying about. Talk about not just all the stuff that's going on in the world or in, in Washington. Let's talk about what's going on in our wonderful Lord and Savior, his amazing grace in our lives. And I'll let the Lord Jesus, the great Lord, have the last word. He says this in the gospel to someone he did a work in his life. He says, return to your own house and go and tell what great things I have done for you. He says, go to your family, go to your friends, tell them the great things that I've done for you. And then we read this. This is in Luke 8. He went his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. What a great Savior we have. Amen. And what a great calling he has. Let's pray for his help. Our great and gracious God, we ask that you would help us to meditate on these things. Lord, our minds can so easily be on other things. Even in this time here, Lord, I know minds have been distracted by other things. Lord, but I pray that you would help us to be mindful of you and, and marvel that what is a man that you are mindful of us, and you are. So I ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to praise you even now in song and to speak of you to others even today. Even in this place, we pray for the glory of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our King. Amen.